Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to this Social Jello with Angelo episode 43 bonus. You might be wondering why am I saying it's a 43 bonus? Well, normally, I only take out one podcast a month, uh, but this month I decided to do two. Uh, mostly, well, there's a few reasons for this, but uh, I'm not going to go into too many details. I do want to mention one quick thing, though. Right now, if for some reason you listen to a lot of my episodes and you're geeked out on Social Jello with Angelo, thank you very much. Uh, second of all, you might notice the sound quality sometimes goes back and forth depending on what I'm doing. I always record with a, with a blue snowball. It's a type of recording equipment used for music and also for podcasts. But sometimes I use GarageBand, and sometimes I use this interface called, let me see here, Muvavi Screen Recorder 5. And I know for some of you listening right now, you're like, well, you know, I really don't give a fuck about this shit. And if you don't, I understand. But uh, either way, for you geeks out there, uh, and for some of you podcast makers, if that's a real word, the uh, the difference in sound quality is that I can actually have a, when I'm using GarageBand, I can actually hear my voice. So I can control the volume. Well, while I'm talking, I can use some of my mic skills to make sure that the volume is a little more set. While when I'm doing the interviews, the Muvavi screen recorder doesn't allow me to hear my own voice. In the future, I think I'm going to change it by overloading my computer and running two programs. But that's a side note. So if for some reason, some of you listened to episode, what was it? Episode 43? Was that my last episode? I think my last episode is episode 43. Uh, let me verify that. But while I'm doing that, um, quick thanks to, my, uh, to the people that sponsor. They don't really sponsor because I don't get any money for this. But they do support the show by putting it on their websites. So quick thanks to TuneIn Radio, and quick thanks to Last.fm, and quick thanks to Blueberry. These three, uh, and probably more, if you Google Social Jello, there's a lot of internet radio stations that are playing my stuff. Because I do it for free. Uh, I'm not looking to make, oh, it would be nice to make money, but I haven't really set anything up. In fact, if you want to support me, and if you like my show, and you want me to get a little bit of money, you can jump on Amazon. Uh, just go to my website at www.socialjello.com. You'll see an Amazon banner. That banner, <laughs> banner. <laughs> if you scroll to the bottom and just click on it, and then from there, if you go shopping through my banner, I get like two cents or whatever. Uh, I don't get much, but it'll give me something. That would be cool if I can make some money off it. But yeah, so far I don't have any sponsors to speak of, and. Um, yeah, so back to the point I was making earlier. Yeah, if you go to Social Jello, uh, episode 42, that was the last one I let out. And that one might have some sound quality, a lot of sound quality issues, which is why I'm doing this one as a bonus. So, like, if you just couldn't put up with the idea that you could not hear my guest, Dale, I don't know why. Every time I interview Dale, I have serious sound, sound issues. I'm not blaming anybody in particular, but he's definitely a tough dude to interview for sound quality. But either way, um, if you got, if you couldn't get through that episode, I apologize. Uh, I will work on trying to make sure that the sound quality is a little bit better than that every time. And one of the things I'm hoping to do is using a little more feedback 
from uh, through GarageBand, being able to have a monitor and listen to my own voice is one way to kind of mediate that. I'll be using like two channels. Anyway, more geeked out stuff that you probably don't give a fuck about. So either way, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you already know, this one's going to be about why I chose Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Japan. Uh, so without further ado, let me get started with the show. So welcome to the Social Jello with Angelo show. As I mentioned earlier in the first five minute spiel or whatever. Uh, I'm going to be going over why I chose Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Japan. And it's pretty interesting how this episode came to come about. Uh, originally, I blogged about it. So if you're looking for any of the stuff I'm about to reference, I'm going to go over through some history. And if you're looking for any notes or any further reading, I'm just going to put my blog right up in the episode notes. Um, Maybe some of you already read this, so cool. Like, if you want to read and listen to me talk about what I wrote, that's more power to you. I appreciate you being such a big fan. I know some of my people, they hate reading, or they don't have time for it, and they'd rather listen to a podcast. And that's what I made, well, that's why I kind of made this for you. Also, to give you a little more background story, because I can tell you a little more information than if you just read, because when I write, I tend to just kind of get into the zone and stick well, maybe that's what you like, right? I'm more focused when I'm writing. So if you're already listening to this podcast, you're like, dude, this guy's rambling and rambling and rambling. If you feel I'm rambling, just jump onto the episode notes. You can click on the actual blog write-up that I did with no BS. It just cuts straight to the, you know, cuts through all the crap and just goes right into the bulk of the information. Um, but yeah, this is going to give you a little more background to why I wrote that up. If you already read it, it's going to be like some extra extras bonus. That's why it's a bonus episode. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let me get started. Why do I keep saying without further ado, without further ado, some more is the do's and do's, do's, more do's to the do's without delaying. Uh, this actually originally came up because I started posting on my personal Facebook. I started posting about how I started training at the Gracie Barra Jiu Jitsu gym in Takogawa and my Sifu, uh, who is now a professor in Kajukembo, uh, Professor Ronnie Isagiri, and shout out to Professor Ronnie Isagiri in San Diego, California. He asked me, why are you doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Why, why don't you do Japanese Jiu-Jitsu? And I gave him some half-assed response real quick from what I, my opinions, but I knew some of the history was a little off. I said, well, there's a lot, like I tried to answer the question quickly by just saying something like, well, uh, you know, it has something to do with the history and um, you know, I feel that traditional jiu-jitsu, I couldn't really find a place. And then one of my friends jumped on and immediately corrected me. There's a lot of places you can do traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu nearby. Um, you know, and then I was like, okay, well, to be honest, uh, from what I've seen out of traditional jiu-jitsu, it just seems like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is more effective, but I really didn't know why. Like, I knew that was the answer, like, because I've seen traditional jiu-jitsu, Aiki jiu-jitsu, and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go more into details what all this stuff is. But when I answered his question, I didn't. And that's when I told him, you know what? This is a great question. I'm just going to do some research. So, yeah, I, I did about a month's worth of research, dove into some books, uh, looked at some references, jumped into Google Scholar, and, you know, kind of put together a nice article for it. I'm going to take a quick drink of water. That's that. I'm not going to edit that out. You can hear me drink water. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, so that's why I decided to answer his question by doing this that way um so like i was saying um it i feel i feel that 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just more effective. And to kind of look at some terms here, uh, sometimes you'll hear Jiu-Jitsu, sometimes you'll hear Jujutsu. Jujutsu is the way Japanese pronounce Jiu-Jitsu. Um, another f funny kind of offshoot about this is if you walk up to the average Japanese person and say, hey, yeah, I do Jujutsu, or even if you pronounce it right, Jujutsu, they're going to look at you kind of funny because they have no idea what it is. Uh, the average Japanese person has really lost touch with uh, martial arts in general. They know about it. Actually, I almost want to say I can walk up to the average American and be like, hey, yeah, I do Jujitsu or Brazilian Jujitsu. And most of them know what I'm talking about, unless they're like really out of touch with what's going on in the world. Um, they know what I'm talking about. Or if I say, hey, yeah, I do MMA, they might not know exactly what I'm talking about, but they will have an idea. Well, when I say this stuff in Japan, they have no clue. I might as well be talking to like, to uh, to to my eighty, to like a to a to a grand to my grandmother about it, right? I might as well be talking to her about you know MMA, and we, you know, and arguably even she might know more about it than people out here. Um, and that's just because they've really kind of, like, it's kind of a niche field. Uh, some people that are listening are like, "What are you talking about? Like, pride, bro, pride, pride." Uh, for those of you that are wondering, why do I keep yelling out Pride? Uh, Pride it was one of the first MMA venues that got really famous out here, and uh, some of the great, some of the some of the best in Jiu-Jitsu fought, fought in Pride. Um, let me see here, Gracie in Pride fighting, and it was kind of like it was kind of like UFC, except they allowed head stomping. And um, yeah, there he is, uh, Rickson Gracie. Is the one who got really into into pride out here. He he brought, he essentially brought a lot of wins for the Gracie family out, and so did so did Royce Gracie. I want to say did Royce Gracie come out to? Uh, I'm not gonna don't quote me on Royce. Don't quote me on Royce. But I can tell you right now off the bat on a quick search that uh, Rickson Gracie, uh, back in the '90s, he came out to Pride and fought, and a lot of people recognized the Gracie family back then from that. Um, but here's the deal. That was in the 90s. Uh, a little after that happened, uh, and when the UFC became really big in America, Pride started kind of falling off the charts, not getting as big of names, not a lot, not that many people coming out to fight as much. Money really wasn't there in the first place. And eventually, the UFC bought out Pride, and when they bought out Pride, they just kind of let it stay stagnant, um, most likely so that they can continue to do. So they brought, they bought out Pride, they brought in their best fighters into Pride, into UFC, I mean. UFC bought out Pride and started bringing the best fighters from Pride over to UFC, which really helped their venue. But they kind of purposely let Pride fizzle out so that the UFC would become the number one promoter for MMA, which was a great move for them. Uh, props to Dana as a business move. The only problem with that was that the, uh, the Japanese people that did recognize Pride didn't recognize the UFC. And like then only hardcore fans of MMA continued to follow it. But your average person who would flip through the channels and watch Pride, well, that disappeared. And as you know, UFC is only on pay-per-view. And Japanese people don't really watch fights. Like, they keep up with boxing. But Pride was pretty much available to them on, on their regular cable. They didn't have to actually pay for pay-per-view. You just flip through the channels and, oh, hey, there's a Pride fight on. And even now, like, they have other smaller venues like that. You'll be flipping through the channels. And, oh, look, there's an MMA fight. And it's XL. Um, to mention some of the people out here, XL is one of the... Excel and also one fighting championship over some of the MMA venues out here that you'll be flipping through the channels and you can watch for free. And that's how Pride worked. Um, 
which helped it really become big in Japan. Now you might be asking, well, wait a second. You said that Japanese people don't know, but you said when you're flipping to the channels, you can see you you can see MMA. Sometimes, most of the time, you bump into kickboxing. And plus, I have a premium package for my cable, which a lot of people don't have. They usually just have basic cable, and on basic cable, there is no MMA. Um, once in a great while, a kickboxing match. K1 is a kickboxing venue that's still pretty big, and they have that going on over here. But outside of those venues that I just mentioned, mostly it's just boxing. So that's why if you talk to the average person, yeah, they won't know what you're talking about. So back to our history lesson. Um, so yeah, uh, Japanese jujutsu, uh, it was a style actually meant to be used against samurais in battle. And it was developed during the feudal Sengoku time period. Now, if I'm pronouncing any of this wrong, yeah, I can speak some Japanese, but I butcher everything. So I'm sorry, you know, sorry. That's all I have to say. The Sengoku time period was between 1467 and 1568. Um, through this, uh, one of the more formidable styles that is mentioned quite a bit is the teaching of judo in Japan. Don't, we'll get to judo later, but just give him some props to him. That's where this quote came from. The term jujutsu itself, it wasn't coined until the 17th century. And uh, this became a blanket term for to cover any style that included grappling. Today, um, any grappling that was developed, any type of style of grappling that was developed between 1333 and 1573 is, revert, is referred to as Japanese old-style jujutsu or uh, nihon Jujutsu, that's what they call it. And in Nihon Koryu Jujutsu, techniques are taught through forms, or something called kata. And uh, they're designed to lock joints and subdue an opponent. Uh, force is never really met with force. Uh, it's the whole philosophy of letting, you know, using your opponent's force against them. This can be found in many. This is pretty much a really core concept in martial arts in general. Japanese Jujutsu methods can be split into several different schools also. So uh, that goes a little beyond the scope of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, and the reason is it, it just take hours if I went into every, there's a lot of different schools. So I'm just going to focus on a few of the main schools that that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu evolved from, if you will. And uh, that's, we're going to start off with Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and even though some of the practitioners claim that Aiki Jiu-Jitsu goes back to... I don't even know how to say this, right? The, the year is, it's 10th century. It's the 10th century. We'll say the 10th century. It's 105, 1045. So like if it was 1140, 1142, right? Or 1492, 1045. It sounds like I'm talking about time. Like, oh, what time is it? 1045. No, it's not 1045. It was 1045 C, B, not BC, but C, AC, AC, AC. I think that's right. Maybe not. As you can tell, I'm not a historian, but either way. Um, yeah, I, some, some of the people say it goes back past the 10th, like all the way to the 10th century. Um, and the, you know, the historical practice and the schools, they weren't really established officially until 1895. And that was according to Kondo, uh, 2000. Kondo wrote the book, uh, Daito Ryu Aiku Jujutsu Hidden Mokuryo Ikaijo, uh, and it was taken from the Tokyo Aiki News. Um, 
So he's the one who kind of, that's where I got that reference from again. But uh, again, it should be noted that the established schools tend to trace their roots back to Daito Ryu, which uh, with each school tracing their lineage to a clan called the Takeda clan. And that's where you end up with people all the way up into the 10th century because they're kind of going beyond, even though the style wasn't established until 1895, they, they claim that the Takeda clan that was around during the 10th century were practicing these techniques and that they evolved, 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 and they finally got established later. So that's what some people will say. I'm not trying to join any debates. I'm just telling you what I found. Um, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu uses joint manipulation. I'm going to take a quick sip of water. As well as strikes to immobilize an opponent. Um, techniques are taught through, again, kata, and practice is done on a willing opponent. So kind of a dummy man, if you've ever done any if you've ever done any martial arts uh, in, in karate, we, we have this thing called, or even self-defense courses, they have the dummy man where a guy kind of, uh, Jim Carrey has a great skit about, you got to hit me like this, and kind of walks out with his arms to the side. <laughs> so, but either way, <laughs> uh, the idea is the, the person attacks you in a, in a format that you know what, the, what they're going to do, like an overhead swing or a, a really wide punch, and then you apply a technique. Um, it's pretty common amongst... Uh, most self-defense schools like this this type of practice and Aikido jiu-jitsu this is how they learn most of their techniques um but one thing i should note is that Aikido jiu-jitsu actually influenced the development of both judo and aikido and so because of this uh you know when you look at that aikido really wasn't developed until maybe a century later or you know, like if you look at the way it works established officially, it was established officially in 1920. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Aiki Jiu Jitsu was established in 1895. They go back to the 10th century. Well, Aikido is a little more straightforward. It started in 1920. The founder was a man named Morihei Ueshiba. And uh, he wanted to create a martial art that was meant to subdue the attacker without harming them. Um, and this came from Ueshiba 2002. He actually uh, wrote, has his own writings. Um, again, check the references. Uh, he, he integrated philosophies from uh, Shinto religion, the Omtokyo, and uh, he actually successfully coined the term Aikido in 1942. So although the style was established in 1920, or they started practicing, the term Aikido started being used in 1942. Aikido has no sparring, and all the techniques are practiced, again, with a willing opponent. Um, it's actually developed, like I mentioned earlier, from Aikido Jiu-Jitsu. And the founder studied under instructors of Tenjing Xing Yo Ryu, which is more of that older style I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast. And also, uh, he, another style that he mixed it with was Gotoha Yagyu Shingang Ryu. And he also mixed in Judo. So yeah, like I mentioned earlier, um, Ueshiba, uh, he, he mixed those two styles along with Judo. If you're listening to this and you're wondering why I sound like I stepped away and came back uh, in the background, maybe you heard my dogs barking. <laughs> yeah, either way. Um, going back to our story. So from there, after Aikido was developed, uh, as I mentioned, Aikido was around the same time as Judo. And Judo was actually developed by... Gano Jigoro, uh, and he, this is around, uh, Gano Jigoro studied Tenjin Shingyo Ryu, again, uh, the same 
very the same style that uh, that Ueshiba from Aikido studied and mixed together to make Aikido. Um, and he studied uh, Tenjin Shinjo Ryu under Fukuda Hachinosuke. Wow, <laughs> can't believe I got that out. And uh, again, Ten Tenjin Shinjo Ryu was a style that developed from the old style jujitsu, the Nihon Koryu Jujutsu. And the founder of judo, he loved the practical aspects of free sparring. So uh, in uh, in the style of Tenjin Chingyo Ryu, they have a they have a freestyle kind of sparring that looks very similar to uh, grappling. That what you might actually see, what they call rolling in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, where where this is a time where people can kind of learn techniques and practice against an unwilling opponent. And he felt that the best practice comes through competition. So after practicing the techniques and warming up, students would start sparring and they have a, they, sparring matches are won using a point-based system. Uh, you get an ipon or a point by throwing an opponent to the ground cleanly, like a definitive takedown. Like if you, if you could imagine, uh, you know, you pick the guy up and you slam him onto the ground and that's a point. Uh, if any of you know judo, then uh, sorry, because you know I'm just kind of giving a lay, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, layman's terms to try to make it easy for my listeners that don't do martial arts. So again, you throw them to the ground, and if they if they land cleanly, if it's a, if it's there's no indiscrepancy of how the person fell onto the ground, then the winner is the one who threw them to the ground and a match. Now, if there's kind of a tussle, or if it becomes a scramble and both people fall to the ground, and it's really hard to tell who threw who. Then you start going into something that looks a lot like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where uh, the point can be awarded to the person who does a joint lock on the other opponent or a submission, if you will. Um, and, you know, arm bars and those kinds of things are, are, are where used from there. And, uh, and that's where a lot of the techniques kind of converge. With, but again, the basics are that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo are a bit different because uh, a match is won by throwing the person cleanly on the ground, right? So from there, they're, I forgot how much time they're given, but it, it depends on the division. Um, they're given a certain amount of time to do a joint lock to get the point to win. Or if no, if it's just a scramble, if there's too much wrestling going on on the ground, uh, the referee will stand them up again to give them another opportunity to win by throwing the person onto the ground. And that's how it works. Uh, a, a few points to mention. It has to be a judo throw. A judo throw meaning you grab the guy by the lapel or by the belt or by the by the shirt, not a shirt, they were a gi, but it's kind of hard to explain to people that don't do martial arts, but they were like a thick shirt, if that, if you will. You have to grab them by that to throw them. You can't tackle them like in wrestling. Like you can't go for, and attacks below the knees are not allowed. You can sweep them, you can sweep the leg while grabbing onto the top, but you can't necessarily just go down for a single leg or a double leg. Those aren't, those are not, that's not judo. That's something else. They don't allow that in judo. That's something that I wanted to make clear. So with all these styles, Finally, we get to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm, I'm studying Gracie, I'm doing the Gracie Barra method uh, of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu over in Kakogawa. So for this podcast, I'm going to be focusing most of my explanation using this school. Um, that way I can kind of tell you why I chose it and the history behind the Gracie method. Uh, there's two reasons. Uh, one, I feel that the philosophies of the Gracie method go hand in hand with Kajukembo. Uh I didn't mention earlier in the podcast, but I'm sure if you followed this podcast before, you might already know. Um, I'm a, I hold a, what do I hold now? A third degree black belt, huh? Right? 
second and third degree black belt now. Yep. I'm a third degree black belt in Kajukenbo. I'm also a certified instructor. And uh, Kajukenbo is a self-defense uh, based martial art that uh, my my Sifu in particular, he really wanted, we came from a rough neighborhood, a lot of gangs, a lot of gang violence. So he was really focused on the self-defense techniques of Kajukenbo. Uh, he, he stayed away from the gun stuff and stayed away from the knife stuff. We went over gun techniques. We went over knife techniques. Like We, we stayed away from gun stuff mostly because he's like, hey, if a person pulls out a gun, unless you have a gun, you, you better, you're best not messing with that. And if you watch online videos, you'll see why real quick. Like you can see pro trained professional tactical officers trying to disarm someone with a gun. And there's a great video that shows a guy who's like, I think he's like an ex Navy SEAL or something, but either way, he's trained. He knows how to shoot. He knows how to, he knows how to, he's been training to take away guns. And like in, in a simulation where someone's holding a simulated air gun with a, I think it's a, I think it might've been a paint bullet or a rubber bullet the guy got shot in the head like out of the four times he tried. I think he was only successful once. So yeah, the chances that you're going to get shot and killed are really high, which is why my Sifu always said, if someone has a gun, you're pretty much screwed. Like, you know, try to find ways to get away. Don't try to disarm as much as try to get away. And you know, we always talked about evasive maneuvers and stuff. So that's one of the things that we talked about in Kajakambo. The other thing was if someone has a knife, like how to take, how to get away from the person with the knife. And then if push comes to shove, how to disarm some of the knife. But the biggest thing that my Sifu focused on was the idea where two or three people try to jump you. And this is this was really important for me in my neighborhood because of the gang violence. Like you were never gonna fight just one guy. There was always gonna be two or three of his buddies coming up on you. So you really didn't need to, you didn't really wanna focus on beating the crap out of one guy because his buddies were going to show up and sneak up on you. So you really want to be able to take one person down effectively and take on multiple opponents to be able to create an opening to get away. Because if any of you have ever been on the street and if any of you have ever been jumped, um, you know how important it is not to let them surround you. Because once you're on the ground and they start kicking you, there's no way out of that. And I'm not, I'm not just one of those people talking about it off the top of my head as if it's some sort of uh, you know, experience that some simulated, and then you got those people that, that talk about if and that, no, I've been jumped, I've been jumped a few times, and actually the first time getting jumped is what made me want to start studying a martial art, like, I started, I already kind of learned, did some boxing and stuff, but that first time I got jumped, I was a teenager, I was in junior high, and I remember seeing kids being pulled away, and by the, the gang members didn't care how old you were, and they would mix up with ages between 13 to 18 year olds so you had you'd had kids you had kids teenagers and adults that would start jumping a teenager a kid 12 13 and they would put the kid in the hospital and brain trauma and all kinds of stuff like people got really fucked up by by gang members in my neighborhood so it was really important to learn how to defend yourself and get out of that situation i luckily survived my first time being jumped and i've talked about it before on the podcast and wrote written about it also but yeah, and after that, I, I started studying Kajukenbo, and not to say I, I never got jumped again. People tried to jump me, but uh, you know, I already knew some some things on how to how to avoid getting jumped by by creating openings, by not engaging, by running away, by doing whatever you have to do because getting jumped sucks. And uh, I'm not Bruce Lee <laughs> as much as I look up to the guy. And who knows? It, it could be argued that maybe even Bruce Lee would have a hard time with. You know, that's all movie stuff, right? I'm talking about like real life real life situation of being jumped is totally different from Hollywood. So yeah, I, I felt that uh, 
his philosophy was was my sifu's philosophy was and kaju kembo's philosophy right is karate judo jiu-jitsu ken for kempo or chinese martial arts and bo for boxing and the idea is to mix to not be a stylist and to mix methods if they're effective keep it and that that that's a really good thing to have if you see something don't don't let your mentality that oh that's not my style or i don't like the way that looks if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work but if it can work for you then you should try it and if it works you should keep it and that's something that i also found in crazy jiu-jitsu uh they they have a very similar philosophy the second reason i'm kind of focusing on gracie jiu-jitsu is because uh um for my history podcast is because it has the most schools worldwide and it's really becoming popular in japan right now uh they have schools in tokyo they have schools in over here in my area of Kansai, and they have schools uh, in Hawaii, so they're they're really branching out out here. So it's become kind of a popular name, and uh, that's a, that that was one of the reasons that I finally got to study it because I live out in the middle of nowhere, and I like I mentioned earlier, I couldn't find a place to train. Like they had, I I could find a few MMA schools in the city, and I've been traveling two three hours to get there, but uh, you know that really limited to how much I can train. But luckily, I got. Lucky that finally a place only 45 minutes away from my house opened up, so I can finally go to the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu studio there and train twice or three times a week finally, which is great. And um, yeah, so that that's why I kind of went into there. Now, so like I said earlier, uh, the first <clears throat> going back to our history lesson. So the first judo school in Brazil, it was opened in 1909 by a man named uh, Gio Omori. And he's a Japanese-born Brazilian martial artist. So he's Brazilian, but he was born in Japan. And around this time, Mitsuya Maeda was assigned by the Kodokan Institute, which is the same judo institute that Gio Omari belonged to. Um, he was assigned to demonstrate judo in Brazil, as well as other Western countries. Um, I believe he even went and did stuff with the president of the U.S., and Maero not only did judo, but he also accepted challengers from any style. So he was kind of like in this, it, it was, it looked kind of like, I mean, well, well I'm going to take a quick drink of water. It was kind of like a performance, but it wasn't a performance because he would do his judo techniques and then he would challenge anyone to the crowd um, and he would bet money, like, you know, they'd they bet money and they had prize money. It started off as, it started off just like as a as a part of the show where he kind of showed the, the power of this. He's no, he wasn't a big guy. He wasn't necessarily a big guy. He was kind of a smaller dude, but he would throw these guys, these big guys, down for his show or his demonstration. And at the end of it, he kind of just to show everyone that he wasn't BSing. He was like, hey, you know, if anyone can take me down to the ground, I'll give you this X amount of money. And then some people would be like, "Oh yeah, I'll give you this much money." And they start, they'd start bets, and then they'd start pretty much fights. And he, because he'd say any style, and boxers would come up, and all kinds of people back then would show up and start challenging him. And then after a while, this kind of became the reason that people would come out and watch him, because they were like, "Oh yeah, he's got the show." But actually, at the end of it, they got fights. Like people started, you know, you can actually have a few matches. So people started getting into that too, and that's where, um, that's where he kind of got big, and. Uh, there's a lot of great stories about him. So if you ever want to check out some of his exploits, just, you know, I definitely Google uh, Mitsuya Maeda. Or if you look at my article, I have a link to some of his stuff. And it's he's got some really good stories. Um, in 1917, 
Maeda took in Carlos Gracie and Helio Gracie as his students. Maedo didn't just teach them judo. Uh, after all those challenges that he took on, you know, and since he traveled in a group, I hate to say circus group, but they were kind of like carnies, uh, carnival performances. You know, and they, they, there was a circus troop, and then a part of that circus troop at, was one of the events they had. And he traveled with boxers and uh, Greco-Roman wrestlers. So he kind of, you know, through these exploits, he kind of took a mixed approach to his teachings. It was no longer just judo. You know, he was thinking about how a guy might punch or a guy might kick or a boxer or a bigger guy, right? So he kind of brought this in. And uh, Gracie, uh, I believe it's Rickson Gracie, talks about this in his book. Was it Rickson? Yeah, yeah. Rickson Gracie talks about that in Mastering Jiu-Jitsu, uh, 2003. So if you want to check out a book, it's, it's pretty good. He goes into detail on that. But yeah, he, he came in with a with a mixed approach to teaching. And uh, with that, uh, it was based on his experience. And they were full contact fights, right? The challenges that he did, they weren't wearing gloves. They were just going at it barefisted, right? So it was very, he was trying to break down judo to the most effective techniques, not just based on gi, but based on the idea that a guy might not have his shirt on. He might be. You know, he might be wearing wrestling, wrestling shorts or those underwear that they wear. <laughs> so he came up with, he decided to refine his techniques. And Maeda felt that fighting could be broken down into three phrases. Phases, <clears throat> not phrases, phases. Well, I'm going to tell you three phases, but here's the three phases. <laughs> Striking, grappling, and groundwork. Within this philosophy, uh, a fighter should try to study all types of fighting techniques and develop a method that plays towards their strengths while exploiting their opponent's weaknesses. And just looking at that principle, um, it brought into mind, again, not, not to just keep hammering my own style or what I do at, in Kajukembo, but that, that's the first thing I thought about when I read about that because that's what, my, that's what my, my professor, my instructor always told me, like, you know, you don't want to just be boxing. You don't want to just be grappling. You you know you never know what someone's gonna throw at you. He, my 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 sifu we call it, we we use the word sifu for instructors in, in Kajakambo and he's not a professor. I'm supposed to say my professor, but either way, my instructor uh, Ronnie Sigiri, he always told me he always tells me because he's still around. He, he always tells me um, that I should fight my fight, and what that means is I know my strengths. And whenever I'm fighting, I should exploit my strengths. I shouldn't be trying... If, if I'm fighting someone who I know has been doing wrestling for 20 years, then wrestling this guy is probably the worst thing I should do because he's already got 20 years worth of wrestling experience. Not that I haven't wrestled. I've wrestled, but I've never competitively wrestled in high school, right? I've only wrestled in, in a MMA setting or in, in a jiu-jitsu setting. So if I'm fighting a wrestler, a straight-out high school wrestler or Olympian wrestler, then wrestling this dude is going to be problematic because he's going to have more wrestling experience than me. It's just 20 years to, compared to my five or six. So I should probably, most likely, try to make sure to keep the distance and use my strikes against this person. Whether it's an elbow or if it's an MMA setting, try to knock out his legs with leg kicks and avoid being caught. Uh, not to say that I don't have other things that I can do from there, but that's going to be my strategy. My strategy isn't going to be like, oh, I'm going to double leg take down this wrestler and try to out-wrestle him. That's not exactly playing to my strengths. So definitely trying to play into some of my own strengths is what I want to try to do. 
eventually. <clears throat> but you'll also see this in other methods as well. Uh, Jeet Kune Do mentions a lot of that, that same philosophy of um, keeping what's useful, throwing away what isn't. That's actually a Bruce Lee quote. And you can check out his book on the Tao of Jeet Kune Do if you wanted to learn a little more about that. But either way, back to our story. Eventually, the Gracie family standardized the techniques and founded several different schools that can be traced back to Maeda. It should also be noted that Luis Franca was also one of Maeda's students, and he also developed his system of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from the techniques learned from Maeda. So there's actually a lot of different Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu schools that were started because of Maeda from, his, from, the, from, the, from this method of Judo that he was teaching, and that's why when you look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil, there's so many different schools and there's so many different styles. Now, since then, um, like I said, a lot of different schools have been started and a lot of them do trace their roots back to Maeda. And the word Jiu-Jitsu, as I mentioned earlier, is a Western translation. But kind of cutting to the chase, they kind of stopped teaching Jiu-Jitsu in schools in Japan and traditional Nihon Koryu Jujutsu schools started teaching their styles at their own dojos because Judo became the official standardized martial art of Japan. This happened around that time in, in the 19th century. So Judo, you know, uh, you know, I guess pre-19th century there was all sorts of styles of martial arts, and there still is. Uh, there's a few schools that I, I, I've talked to some of my students. It's kind of random, but one thing that, you know, they'll, sometimes they'll have like this thing called Shaolin, Shaolin Kempo or Kempo schools that teach at schools, at like middle schools uh, and the public schools. But uh, that's not exactly standardized. That's sometimes here, sometimes there, depending on who they know. But if you go to any school in Japan, there'll always be a judo club. Judo is, is a standard, and it kind of overthrew the Nihon Koryu Jujutsu schools. And like I told you earlier, when you look at the way Tenjin Shinyo Ryu Jujutsu was taught, it was very similar to the Brazilian Jujutsu method. It didn't have a willing opponent. Like, the uh, original style of that had, had a little bit of kata and an element of sparring, but uh, when judo came along, it was just it was just mostly just sparring, and it has that point system, and that's why. But judo is still a little bit different from Brazilian jiu-jitsu because in Brazilian jiu-jitsu they allow tackles, right? Uh, they they kind of mix in a little more off of what Maeda's experiences were in his full contact fighting. Um, so why did I choose Gracie Barra jiu-jitsu, even though I live in Japan? Well. Um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of different types of schools and some of them are getting into MMA now and they're mixing grappling techniques from freestyle submission wrestling and they call that, they call it freestyle submission wrestling and they also mix in some judo. Um, some of them are sticking to more of their traditional approaches and emphasizing only on forms with a little bit, if, if not, no sparring. And there's a few problems. The problem with the MMA approach of, uh, the freestyle submission wrestling. Uh, I've been there, those schools. It's just everyone shows up, we put on rash cards, we don't wear any geese, and we just start practicing. Um, the problem with that is, that, like I said, there's no standard. Um, <clears throat> everyone shows up, 
there's uh they practice their techniques and they spar everyone's taught the same technique even if they're a beginner so if it's too complicated for a beginner no, that's too bad you're gonna have to figure it out or just let it go that technique today is not the day for you and uh at this with this approach it's kind of hard to get a solid foundation because you're not really started with beginner techniques into more advanced techniques it's just kind of like a giant mix and what this leads to is the more experienced fighters will start beating up on the less experienced newcomers and the newcomers can either get better or they can give up the choice is theirs and many people choose the later now the problem with the traditional approach as i mentioned earlier is that there is no sparring. So even, they're really standardized though. So the, the good part about that, again, and they, they, they split off the beginners from the, from the more advanced students. And what this does is now you don't have to worry about people not being matched correctly. And they teach the beginners a beginner technique that will lead to a more advanced technique. So it's a great way to learn a technique but you won't really know how effective the technique will be against a real opponent because all the practice is done against a willing opponent, a dummy man, like I mentioned earlier, someone who's going to say, okay, you hit me like this, or if a guy throws a really wide angle, you duck under. <clears throat> and that does, not that there's anything against that, okay? I want to make that really clear. In, in, in my style of Kajukambo, we do that. But we also do real sparring. So we don't just practice the technique on a willing opponent and call it a day and be like, oh, I know that. We, we do it against a willing opponent. Once we've once we've mastered it against a willing opponent, then we go into sparring and then we try it again in a real fighting situation where you really have to use it. And, and that's a good way to lock things down. Um, sometimes, uh, another thing I have, uh, not a problem, like there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say, but it's not what I'm looking for, is a lot of these schools have a large emphasis on these long rituals that have nothing to do with martial arts, like sitting in Seiza for hours while someone recites a Shinto Buddhist prayer, for example. And the, it's supposed to teach you the Zen concept of, uh, of being able to accept uh, pain and being, you know, kind of the idea of meditation and being centered and being okay with being bored essentially <laughs> but not except not being bored but being okay with being present at the moment and it's a great philosophy to have nothing against that uh, i i've practiced i've done i've practiced zen and when i want to practice zen I, I i can go and practice zen that's the way i look at it i kind of don't combine the two when i come in to do my martial arts if i have an mma fight coming up i just want to come in and i and i want to be able to just you know start my training now, <clears throat> when, I, when it comes down to that, um, when I first came to Japan, I, I joined an MMA club, and it was very effective. It is very effective. I'm, I'm still in the club. Uh, but the only problem is that because they didn't have a standard format, um, you know, we were shown a technique once and then a, and then a different technique the next week, and we never really revisited a technique. So if I never really mastered the technique, if I didn't figure it out and get it into my muscle memory that day, it would be lost. And I can write it down and I can try to practice it on my own, but the next week I'd be given a new technique. So it was like a, a lot of techniques coming in and not a lot of, not, not really focusing on one technique until it's mastered, which is what I did in Kajakambo. So my progress was really difficult to measure. I, I really wasn't sure how I was progressing. And, you know, I really like 
I like Bruce Lee's quote on this about, uh, he said, quote, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 1,000 times. And that's a really good quote by Bruce Lee. Um, definitely, if you, if you practice a technique, not various techniques, but one technique, many times you really get it into your muscle memory. This comes, this is going into psychology and the idea of plasticity and creating more neurons in your brain, more, more neural pathways. The more times you practice something, the better it gets, right? Practice makes perfect is another, is another saying, Western saying, right? That's exactly true. Like you keep practicing that one thing until you become really good at it. And then you move on to something else. That's how I did things in Kajukenbo. <clears throat> and when I joined when I jumped into the Gracie Baro Jiu-Jitsu program, I felt that it was very standardized. And this is this, this was their philosophy. This is exactly how they taught. And I was it was kind of a breath of, breath of fresh air, if you will, to kind of be back in a standardized dojo, um, wearing a gi and, and being starting off as a white belt again. I have another article all about that, but just kind of going into the idea that, you know, they would show me a technique one week, and then the next week, uh, I would work off the set of techniques I was taught the week before to build off it. And this is called, in martial arts, we call that building a foundation, right? Um, you don't just start building a house randomly, right? You don't build a window. You don't make a door. <clears throat> you don't build a roof and then put all your puzzle pieces together. Uh, you know, you, you start with your foundation. You lay the foundation. And the same, the same is done with martial arts, right? You lay a nice foundation. And then you start putting your pieces together this way. And that way, everything you've been taught kind of mixes together well. And this is something that the founders of Kajukembo and the founders of Gracie uh, had in common as far as their approach to martial arts, right? They, in Kajukembo, we always talk about how our roots come from, from masters of, of karate and boxing and, and also uh, judo, jiu-jitsu, and how these... These masters got together and taught their taught Sijo and Barado and how he put it all together and and, and came up with the idea of Kajukembo. And, and in this case, <clears throat> the founders of Gracie had a very similar approach to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They they felt that just grappling, if you're if you're going to be a strong grappler, then then you need to still know how to kick, how to punch, or at least how to avoid a kick and how to avoid a punch, how to catch a kick. You can't expect it just to be based on your liking of your rules. And also to do that, the idea that you're going to build that foundation, right? And the nice part about learning this way is that it, you can keep on evolving your techniques off of what you... So every time you come into class, you're just learning a little more, a little more. You're revisiting what you already did. It makes it really it is easy to memorize everything. So it's not just all coming at you like it was in my MMA club that I'm still in. Um, but still, like that's something that I really loved about it. Uh, now that I've been doing this, you know, I, I, I can really see where I'm at now. I can see I can see a few differences also in my MMA training. Like I'm noticing that my uh my senpai or my uh higher <clears throat> my mentor, uh Jin Sang, uh he he treats he teaches me a no holds bar kick ass jujitsu, I call it. Because a lot of the stuff he teaches me is not allowed uh in competition. Um it's uh, you know, in, comp in MMA competitions, it depends on the rules it's allowed. But definitely in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like some of the stuff, like he's taught me some stuff that's like borderline smothering where you kind of cup the guy's, cup the guy's nose so that when he comes up to gasp for air, you lock in a choke. That kind of stuff is not allowed 
in most competitive fighting. But I thought it was pretty cool that he showed me these techniques because, again, going back to the Kaja Kembo philosophy and being able to, you know, use anything that works, I, I like that. But it's still cool to kind of see now that I have this map, <clears throat> when when Jin Sang in my MMA camp is showing me a technique, now I have a reference point to kind of tell, okay, this is a very advanced technique, or hey, this is more of a foundation technique, it's a beginner technique. Thanks to the Gracie standardized method, I have these concepts now. Another thing I like about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't confine itself to the rules of traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu and Judo schools. Uh, for example, like I said, Judo, you're not allowed to do a double leg takedown. And the fight is over if you're throwing to the ground. And in traditional Nihon Koryu Jiu-Jitsu, there's no sparring. It's all based on forms. So the problem with this, like I mentioned earlier, is that it's not very practical. It might work against a willing opponent, but it's not going to work against a trained opponent in the cage where I'm fighting now. Uh, so I really do feel that like Gracie Jiu-Jitsu has this no-nonsense approach. Uh, you know, we practice a technique against a willing opponent, and then we follow up by doing some focus sparring, using the technique we just learned, again, against an unwilling opponent. This is something we did in Kaju Kembo as well. And this, along with the standardized approach, it just makes it easier to build that foundation. And, I, I, and like I said earlier, I can finally measure my improvement. Um, of course, you know, since I already have a background in full contact kickboxing, and I still do MMA, this is just kind of like one more piece of the puzzle for me. Um, it could be argued that just doing Gracie Jiu-Jitsu might not be enough to make you a well-rounded martial artist. Like I, I talk about this with my instructor at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu about like the Kaju Kembo two-on-one sparring and stuff. Like they don't do that kind of stuff. Like they're, they're just they're more focused in competitive one-on-one, -on -one, focusing on one opponent. It's very effective against one opponent. But you know, even a, a Gracie fighter is going to kind of try to expand to figure out how they would fight multiple opponents, and that's a little bit. A little bit outside of what they practice or from what I've seen maybe they do practice it in the higher levels I'm so low level so I could be wrong but from what I see though at the same time is that they encourage students to go out and try new stuff and try to practice different styles to become a well-rounded martial artist which a lot of other schools don't do when I told my <clears throat> Gracie jiu-jitsu instructor that I'm I'm doing MMA he didn't get upset or anything he's like oh that's cool yeah maybe we can bring in some MMA sparring into our into our, you know, into our studio a little later that, you know, I, I'd like to bring some of that in for, for free mat time, which is something that, you know, I never saw. Like whenever I told, I told that, I did that at a kickboxing studio once and uh, they only did kickboxing and he wasn't really happy when, when I convinced one of the other guys to do MMA with me. Like we weren't going hard, but he was kind of worried and he didn't really like it. He, he didn't, the, the sensei didn't look very happy about it at all. And so like, you know, I stopped bringing it up because they're, they're kind of more focused, like this is cut after this is kickboxing, we're only gonna do that. So, you know, that, that was one of the things that I kind of noticed out here. Another observation is that um, in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu place is that a lot of my classmates and instructors, they come from traditional schools. Like a lot of these guys have like third degree, fourth degree black belts in karate and Aikido and also Judo. So even in Japan, the martial artists are coming to the same conclusions. And, um, you know, for me, coming from the American martial art of Kaju Kambo, I just feel like Gracie Bara Jiu-Jitsu shares a lot of the same philosophies, like I mentioned earlier. And since Kaju Kambo emphasizes a lot on stand-up and takedowns, or the style, the method that I do does, over groundwork, 
um, I feel like what I'm learning now is kind of like the missing link um, to help me become formidable no matter what situation I end up in. Um, uh, I, I might have mentioned this earlier, like in my MMA fights, uh, I haven't been, I have not been doing very well. I'm not going to try to lie and say that I'm like this undefeated dude. Like, you know, I, had, I started MMA very late in life. I started doing MMA when I was 35. You know, most people start when they're twenties and, um, uh, like I did Kaju Kembo and if you look at Kaju Kembo, we, we say, I, could, I should say I've been doing MMA for a long time, but I haven't done competitive MMA, like cage fighting. I didn't start doing that till I was 35. So everything else has just been self-defense oriented and in the dojo. So I would do MMA training. We'd have MMA fights. In Kaju Kembo, we would, we would allow any technique and spar against people that did wrestling and all kinds of backgrounds. But I really didn't do any MMA comp competitive fighting like I did I did full contact kickboxing but I didn't really didn't do any type of cage fighting till I was 35 so I'm a little I'm a little late in the game here um, a lot of the guys are way younger than me they're in their 20s 25 you know they're in their prime and they're trying to become professional fighters and then here's me who's just trying to get in a few fights before I retire when I'm 40 so yeah things aren't going that great but um <clears throat> and uh it, but that's why I'm doing this, right? I, I, I like this one quote that I heard from, uh, from Carlos Gracie that said that there is no, there is no, in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there is no losing. There is only learning. And that's, that's why I do it. I, I want to learn. And I know I'm a Sifu and I'm a teacher, but I still feel there's a lot more I want to learn and I do teach, I do teach and I coach, but I think that I feel that learning more will only benefit my students in the future. So the more experiences I can get before I hit 40, and why do I keep saying 40? That's the age where more injuries happen. That's when things get kind of more dangerous for an older fighter. And I'm not a professional fighter. I, I have my own career path that makes me more than enough money from what I need to support my family. So really, doing MMA is doing the opposite, right? You hear those people that do MMA, and they're like, I got to fight to put food on the table. And that, that gives them more drive even. But um, that's all they got. Like, once they're done with MMA, they better make their millions now. Because once they're done with MMA, unless they can successfully run a school, uh, then they're done. And, uh, and a lot of them have a hard time adjusting to regular life after that. While I'm coming from another approach, you know, I'm not. I've never looked at doing martial arts to make money. I've only, I've always looked at doing martial arts to protect my family, to protect myself before I even had a family. Like I said, I, <clears throat> I came from a rough neighborhood, and I wanted to be able to defend myself and not end up in the hospital. So it's a little bit counterproductive to do martial arts, end up injured, and not be able to work, and not put food on the table. It's kind of the opposite. So right now, I'm just trying to I'm taking it easy. I'm 36 now, so I've been doing MMA now for two years. I turn 37 next year in January, and I've, I've just I'm looking at maybe taking two or three fights a year. And if I get offered something in the higher ranks, great. I've already worked my way up. I started in the B class in a B class division, and I'm already in the A class division where where you wear it's uh, you wear a helmet. Uh, there's no ground and pound allowed. But uh, you are allowed to hit to the body, and every type of joint lock is allowed. And I just feel that it's a safe way. The venue that I fight in, since we're wearing the helmets, and it's 
full contact, but the refs are really conscious about how hard we're pushing ourselves. So once you get your bell rung even a little bit, they'll call it a quick TKO, which is upsetting uh, because if you get knocked and but you can still fight, they'll stop the fight quickly, which is the way I lost the first time. I got I got hit in the chin a little bit and my legs are a little bit wobbly and they stopped the fight. They didn't do a count or anything, which in kickboxing they would. Like, I, you know, I've had fights where I can push through that, but it's all good. Like, they're protecting me. They're making sure I don't end up with a head injury. I don't end up losing everything over an amateur fight. You know, I'm not getting paid. <clears throat> so, again, like for, for my own personal journey, I feel it's a great it's a great way for me to advance. And then once I turn 40, I'm planning on, on, on retiring MMA and focusing more on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that's pretty much why I chose Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, here's some pretty interesting stuff that came up when I was researching stuff for my article. Like when I was looking at videos, there was a video that claimed it was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu versus Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. But when I looked at it a little closer, it was actually Judo versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a little different. As I mentioned earlier, yeah, it's a little, it's a little different for the rules. <clears throat> and another thing that came up was, uh, I saw a lot of videos trying to say that it was Japanese jiu-jitsu versus the Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, in America. But when I looked at it a little further, it was a guy who did the traditional jiu-jitsu, but he actually did judo and he kind of incorporated a little more not just traditional, you know, Japanese jujitsu, as I said, you know, jujitsu. And I really had a hard time finding like a traditional Japanese jujitsu school, the Nihonkuyu jujitsu, that did actually any sparring. Like, it was always some some American guy who who mixed a style. Maybe he did some traditional, but later brought in some judo or some wrestling or studied some Brazilian jujitsu before he went in. And uh, when I did look up in Japanese, the style of, you know, you know, Tenjin, Tenjin, Shinyu, Ryu, Jiu-Jitsu, or Koryu Jiu-Jitsu, what I found, again, were a lot of demonstrations. And if you look at my article, if you click at the link, you'll see some of, the, you'll see a few of the videos I'm talking about on, on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, pretty much what I'm trying to get at is... There's a lot of different paths. It doesn't matter what style you do. Like I said earlier, I'm not a stylist. It just happens to be that I ended up finding Kajukembo, and that was what I was effective, where I, where I came from. Maybe you don't have a Kajukembo school. Maybe you don't have a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school available to you. But what you are going to notice if you want to do martial arts is that there's a lot of people that are selling you a, a, a giant... like It's like comparing a McDonald's Big Mac to a nice... 100% Angus beef burger from your favorite diner, right? It, there's a big difference between the real thing and something that's being mass-produced. Now, some people argue that that's what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is doing because it's mass-produced, but it's standardized, and it's no nonsense. It's no nonsense. Like, once you go in there, you start rolling, you're either you're either going to catch on or you're not. Like, it's there's sparring, and it's it's legit. Now, what I'm what I'm talking about more about is these this idea of these schools that say they're teaching some sort of martial art, but there's no sparring, there's no contact, and it gets so watered down to the point that mostly <clears throat> you're more or less going through the ropes. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's all you have. Like I said earlier, like some of the traditional styles, that's what they are: is just doing forms and movements, and you know, eventually maybe you can pull something off from that 
you know, if that's what's available to you, that's what's available to you. But I just hope that whatever you find, you can make sure that it's legit. And one of the best ways to find out if it's legit is if it works in a real fight in a real competitive setting. Now, for me, in Kajukambo, we're always developed to develop our we're encouraged to develop our own method once we get our black belts. And this can take on a lot of different shapes. And I'm not trying to say that one style one method or one style is better than another. I'm just trying to say that some styles are more effective depending on the circumstances. And it also depends on the individual. Um, you know, during my first MMA fight in Japan, my first cage fight, I was I was shocked how little I actually knew about groundwork. I, I knew how to defend myself against the average person, but fighting against a trained, aspiring professional MMA fighter, that was a whole different story. Uh, you know, this is where like having an in-depth knowledge of all phases of fighting, like uh, like Gracie talked about, stand-up grappling and groundwork, that was definitely needed. And after my fight, I felt that I needed to emphasize that, like, I felt like I've emphasized a lot on grappling and stand-up, but um, for most of my martial arts journey, but now it's time for me to focus on that groundwork to get better, to be a more well-rounded fighter and a better Sifu once I retire. And that's why I ended up choosing Gracie Bara Jiu-Jitsu in Japan. So um, to anyone listening to this, you know, feel free to comment in the comment sections if you have any questions or, you know, if you have, if, if, and I'll try my best. If you have any questions, I'll try my best to answer them in the comment section. And I just want to encourage anyone listening to train your mind, body, and spirit every day. This doesn't always have to be martial arts. Uh, you know, you got that, if you have a gym, if you like, you don't even need a gym. Like, right, you want to go for a run. There's a lot of great stuff you can do to take care of your body. Um, I personally find like hiking to be a, almost a spiritual experience, getting into touch with nature. And for my for my for my uh, trail running, uh, I pop off the headphones and I just listen to nature. And it's a great way to connect with with the things around you and, and be mindful. <clears throat> and, I, and for me, it's martial arts, but it can be anything for you, right? There's, there, pick something that lets you unplug from this very plugged in society that you live in every day the, the nine if you have a nine to five or if you have that kind of you know you, everyone's kind of stuck in their own world trying to just get things done just trying to survive make money but um it's always good to kind of disconnect from that once in a while and just find something and enjoy doing it for the sake of doing it and i encourage you to do that anytime you can thank you very much for listening to social jello with angelo um I have my fight coming up. It's going to be the second week of September. So if you do find yourself in the Osaka area, you can see me fight at the at the Pincration, at the Hybrid Pancreas MMA Gym in Osaka, Japan. I'll have a link to that in the notes if you are in Osaka and you want to check out the fight. Um, I'll put the address there. The date is the second Sunday of September. Let me take a look here at my calendar. Which la oh, it's actually the third Sunday. And it lands on the 16th. Uh, registration is at 10. So if you wanted to join, all, all you got to do is just show up and sign up. Uh, they don't even, as long as you tell them what style you do, um, they really don't, they don't ask for anything else. Um, so yeah, if you wanted to fight, you can go in there and register. Uh, they don't do on-the-day signups, so 
you'd have to contact them immediately when this podcast is released. <laughs> so you'll have like three weeks. You may not get in that day, but I mean, at least if you have a contact, you can. They have fights every month, so you can always sign up for a fight. Um, I'll be fighting at 77 kilograms, and fights start at 12 o'clock. They're completely free to the public, so if you want to come out and see some fights for free, uh, you can kind of see what what it looks like. It's, it's good times if you that sort of thing. Thanks again for listening. Uh, check out my website at www.socialjello.com for any upcoming events and follow my blog that kind of stuff and I'll catch you all later have a great week peace This fucking parkour